Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. We've got a special episode for you today and over the next three weeks. What we're going to be doing is taking some of the interviews that we conducted while we were at a Revenue Collective offsite on a nice little yacht in the middle of Hudson River and uh, and bringing those to the podcast audience. The first one is the president and co-founder of a company called CB Insights, a man named Jonathan Sherry, who's well-known here in the New York City uh, tech community and ecosystem. CB Insights is a really interesting company. They've taken one round of capital, uh, and that was late in their life, and, and have funded the, the the business almost entirely from profits and from revenue. I don't believe they've touched a single dollar of the money that they raised. And so they are, they are a, a company that's sort of grown at a venture scale without venture capital infused into the business, which makes them, from my perspective, really, really interesting. And Jonathan's got a lot of really interesting thoughts on how to scale a business, how to how to build culture intentionally, and how to make sure that you retain the credibility and the alliance and the allegiance of the people uh, that work for you. So it's, it's a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. Now, before we get there, we want to thank our sponsors. We continue to be excited that we've got LucidChart as one of our sponsors. LucidChart's new sales solution is the leading account planning platform for modern sales organizations. With LucidChart, you can visually map out key contacts and crucial account data to uncover critical insights that will allow you to close bigger deals faster. So go to lucidchart.com forward slash sales for more information. And if anybody's ever been involved in any kind of complex enterprise sale, you know that mapping out and organizing both the org chart of the company, but also what are their preferences, what are their instincts, and what is their power within the organization all requires some kind of visual solution. So LucidChart Sales Solution is a really great a really great application there. Our second sponsor is Outreach. That's Outreach.io, the leading sales engagement platform, as you know. Outreach supports sales reps by enabling them to humanize communications at scale. From automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up selling time to providing action-oriented tips on what communications are working best, Outreach has your back. Now, without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Jonathan Sherry on a boat. So the first uh, conversation we're going to have right now is, is with John Sherry. John is the, the co-founder and the COO, the chief operating officer of CB Insights. While I read his bio, uh, come on up. If you don't know about CB Insights, it's one of the darlings, I think, of the, the New York tech ecosystem because of the way that they've grown, which is essentially bootstrapped until they took on some financing that they basically haven't touched, and also leading an incredible culture, an incredible organization, and just doing it the way that's inspiring and different. So uh, let me give you his bio. John Sherry is co-founder and chief operating officer of CB Insights, a market intelligence platform that empowers Fortune 500 executives to identify emerging trends, new markets, disruptive threats, and competitor strategy. CB Insights is backed by the National Science Foundation and bootstrapped to millions in revenue before raising 10 million in VC from Pilot Growth Equity in 2015. Prior to CB Insights, John pioneered the $50 million Chairman's Innovation Fund at American Express. Earlier in his career, he worked at Deloitte, advising the world's top financial services companies on how to capitalize on emerging technologies. He went to Penn, and he got his MBA from Columbia. Welcome, John. Welcome. Thanks. Also, uh, for the cognitive dissonance, we're also going to be acting as if we're on a podcast as well. So uh, welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast, John. 
<laughs> Glad to be here. For on those out boat. there in the world, uh, we are on a boat right now. There's a room full of Revenant uh, Collective members, and we're talking to John Sherry, the, the co-founder of CB Insights and the chief operating officer. We like to start with the baseball card. So uh, it's John Sherry, it's CB Insights. I just read a little bit of the bio, but what does CB Insights do? Who are you? Yeah, so uh, CB Insights, I guess what we are now is uh, an AI-powered, or we're building an AI-powered strategy consultant. At least that's the vision. We grew up really covering data on the venture industry, many of the companies, I guess, that folks in this room probably work for. And the early vision was just to build a high-quality private company database and sell it back into venture. But as the vision and market evolved, we found that the Fortune 500 was probably a better market for us to play, much bigger, deeper pockets, lots of opportunity for expansion. As emerging technologies started sort of taking over the world, and folks within sort of the Fortune 500 understood they don't want to be the next blockbuster taken over by Netflix. Lots of investment in understanding the emerging trends and how it's going to affect their businesses. And so for us, a lot of that timing was right. So we've expanded our data sets to cover anything in regards to emerging technology and primarily uh, do sell into digital transformation, innovation, growth within the Fortune 500 and beyond. Folks were thinking about where the business needs to be three, five, 10 years down the road versus the business units that are sort of generating revenue today. Sounds exciting. Uh, what's the Thanks. origin of the company? Tell us about yeah. how it came to be. Sure. And also expand on this concept of financing from customers as opposed to from uh, yeah. third-party investors, because that's interesting. Sure. Yeah, so uh, I was at American Express, and that's actually where I met my co-founder, Anand. We were co-leading the $50 million Chairman's Innovation Fund. This was 2008, before the financial shitstorm. But I give American Express a lot of credit. They were thinking kind of forward in terms of these innovation groups that are now existing uh, more prominently today within these large organizations. Part of our job was to sort of canvas the market, see what was out there, what would be a complementary uh, maybe business model or company for uh, American Express to either acquire, invest in, partner with. And as we were doing due diligence on private companies, realized pretty quickly there was only one player in the market at that time. I will spare their name. But it was a, a pretty terrible product, and the, uh, the relationship that uh, venture capital firms had with this product was pretty hostile. It was just the only show in town, and we decided we could build a better mousetrap, left American Express, and uh, continue to build that and commercialize it in 2009. And that's sort of the upbringing of the company. And so how big is the company now? We're over 250 employees. We're somewhere between 250, 260 or so. And you're on, are you allowed to give us like a bucket of ARR revenue range? Yeah, sure. So uh, just to kind of give you a sense of uh, the history, we started the company in 2008. I wouldn't call it any semblance of a company until maybe 2009-ish, 2010, pretty much a hackathon. From 2010 to 2013 was a grind where there was no predictable sort of semblance of revenue. But in 2013, went about a million and a half in ARR, tripled that into 2014. And then uh, I guess it, probably the next big milestone, we had Mark Jacobs, who's somewhere in this group. He joined us as SVP kind of overseeing all revenue. That sort of changed everything, didn't it? In 2016, it did. That was really the, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, he should be up here. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a toss up between Jacobs. But, uh, you know, we, that, that year, I think we closed around 16 million ARR. Um, and this year, probably going to close somewhere about 4x that. So there you go. Amazing. And you only raised money in 2015 and you Correct. and you basically didn't didn't need it. Was that intentional yeah. the whole time? How did you, you know, you've got sure. other companies, yeah. especially over the last 10 years in New York, yeah. raising very, very large rounds, mm -hmm. probably 
you know, you have to be an incredibly yep. secure, confident person yep. to say, we don't need that. We're just going <laughs> to yeah. go at our speed. Yeah. What was your approach? Yeah, hopefully we're not being, uh, hopefully not arrogant, right? But uh, the, uh, the the original approach was simple. I mean, we wanted to control our own fate. We probably, it's easy to sort of say that now. I think in retrospect, it's not like there was a ton of opportunity to, to raise money in 2008 during this financial crisis. People had other things to worry about, like, is the world ending? But, uh, you know, we bootstrapped through doing some consulting, actually on the credit card industry, which had absolutely nothing to do with the product that we built, you know, by night, right? By day, we were essentially consulting to hedge funds and generating enough cash to keep the lights on, got the business out the door and realized we can probably do this um, through just kind of bootstrapping our way through and we close a customer on CB Insights, hire another engineer. As long as sort of the lights were staying on, we could feed our families. We felt that we could continue to endure that. And so that's what we did. And I, I, you mentioned the National Science Foundation, which is actually something really important. I don't know. There's probably various stages here. I don't maybe some founders. This is actually like a highly untapped resource. The federal government actually funds companies. I mean, you, you do need a little bit of a social purpose, and then you need, you know, the National Science Foundation, I think probably people think of lab coats and all those things. But we were doing some work in data science when I guess it was kind of a bit of a novel idea. And they were a great partner to us. We raised over a million dollars from them, to all told. So I'll, I'll include that in the bootstrap simply because it was non-dilutive, right? It just basically, it, it, it basically gets treated as revenue. So that was also something that was kind of a saving grace for us. Wow. And, and something that I think probably more companies should look into. It's just not on TechCrunch, so people don't know about it. So you, I'm sure you came in with certain perspectives on leadership and on growing culture, yeah. and those have evolved. And yeah. so walk us through, mm -hmm. because I think you've said in the past, you know, don't treat all the advice in the business books. You know, there's yeah. Twitter. Yeah. We could just do whatever Naval Ravikant right. tells us to do. Yeah. Uh, or what's your perspective? <laughs> He's got lots of good advice, by the way. But no, I guess my perspective, look, I mean, this is going to be really kind of silly and very cliche, but treat people like people. And as long as you're doing that, you're fine. Look, I didn't actually have much of a leadership philosophy coming into CB Insights. Every day that I come to work, I mean, we're a little bit bigger than the day before. So I'm honest, quite honestly, just learning on the job. Didn't have much of a philosophy really as we started to kind of put that first management layer in probably around 2012, 2013, that kind of superseded our founding team, you get thrown into it very quickly in terms of you better learn in dog years how to manage because that's going to be like your first disappointment, right? Because folks of the founding team, for better or worse, more for worse, folks see success in career as kind of growing into leadership positions. And that's simply not always the best case. And so I think the, the, the one thing I would say, you don't want to over-optimize for this too early, but you want to really think about what are the career tracks for the people that you want to retain. Some people are going to grow up into leadership, but you better think about what those career tracks look like for the people you want to invest in who simply aren't going to be looking or seeking or interested in or good at management slash leadership positions. And that's something that we learned probably a little bit too late. And frankly, people endured some tough times as a result. But that's endured that some tough say. times because you put top performing individual contributors yeah, into management absolutely. roles. Exactly, absolutely, and and you know it's not like we've had a, a, a anything calamitous happen as a result. But you do lose good people when you kind of promote them into something quickly that you want them to succeed at, and that it ultimately can be a little bit difficult. And and doing the turnaround thing is is pretty tough. You know, kind of backtracking from that, it sometimes can be a hit to the ego. It can be humiliating. Honestly, it's none of the above as far as I'm concerned. It's just like, hey, we made a mistake. Let's just change course. But I can understand to the individual why that would be tough. And I actually have one individual who came to mind who really gracefully 
he did go that route and gracefully sort of stepped around and he's like one of our he, one of our earliest employees and just lights out at what he does now and like when you find people like that that's amazing but it is rare what have you learned about managing executives you know you brought yeah mark's come into the organization sure. no but it's it's yeah, difficult yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, no 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 they're not is. the founders yeah. they have their own perspectives their own ideas about yeah. how to do things yeah that can be challenging i think that look I, th yes that was another sort of uh strange time in the company you know, at least for myself i think around 2015 mark was probably kind of like the first Ex like real executive we hired in. We hired, you know, a couple others as well right around the same time. But it, my intent from day one on doing that was simply to kind of put myself out of that job, right? And if you come in with that mentality, let them take over, you're simply just going to have to defer to them on topics that they know better than, than you do. And so, um, but yeah, it, it, it's certainly weird when you, you kind of wake up one day and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm managing people who are simply a lot more experienced and better at doing these things than I am. So honestly, like for the most part, I kind of view my job as simply getting these pieces to kind of work together. It is not my intent to kind of own these things. I want to find and carve out what I'm specifically good at, but anything else, I mean, that is why we sort of bring in the executives like Mark to do that. So I'm going to ask you a question that's not on our sheet. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in yeah. forecasting and revenue sure. growth yeah. and your perspective on targets. Yeah. You don't have you know, I, I get the impression, yeah. Yeah, yes, pilot growth equity invested sure. in the business. Yep. I get the impression they don't have a, <laughs> I get the, the, that their seat at the board is, right. is our board. Yeah, is. our board meetings are pretty light. Right, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you haven't seated control of the company. Yeah, and true. so there's no, you don't have to get to a hundred right. million in revenue. Right. You don't have to do anything in particular. Yeah. How do you approach forecasting and revenue growth year over year? And yeah. how do you work with the finance team and the sales team or the revenue team sure. to make sure that it's a number that is attainable, or do you not believe that it should be attainable? What's your philosophy? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that um, you, you can't make it not attainable because then that's just going to, uh, everything starts with kind of a number, and then from there you build down your comp plans and your goals. And so if you build things, you want to build aggressive, but you don't want to bring unattainable to the party because then uh, you lose credibility, people aren't making money, and that's no good for anybody. Yeah, I mean, putting aside the board thing, look, when, when we did take investment, one great thing was we actually started setting targets. Right. Like, honestly, before that, it was just like thinking month to month. Can we just can we get to a million dollars a month? Can we break last month's sort of number? And then we started to think a little bit about, you know, more long term, at least for long term for us was thinking quarterly, but really annually and going through the rigor of a budgeting process. The timing on that was very good because the, the team was kind of expanding quite a bit at that time. And, you know, in retrospect, had we not started doing that, you can lose track of your expenses and and and, and then things kind of, it becomes a fire sale and that's no good. Look, it, it, we're not, it's not like the board is imposing its will in, in terms of trying to get us to go after aggressive growth targets, but we're, we're ambitious. I mean, we want to set targets that we think that we can exceed. And so, yeah, I mean, we look at things two ways, right? Number one is, of course, you benchmark the market and you look at what a company our stage should be doing based on kind of historical performance of other companies who've gone on and succeeded. Number two, you kind of look at reality, right? So that's kind of like the top down. We want to hit this number. Then you have to look at the reality and the bottoms up. And it's, that's very models driven, right? You can, we, we have a, a funnel model that is completely geeked out and has evolved over time. That makes and we me just look really, at, really happy to hear that. What's that? A funnel model as opposed to... I, I yeah. Tell me if I'm interpreting this correctly. Yeah. Most companies, it's a headcount-driven revenue model. Yeah, I so, more AEs, okay. 
sounds Perfect. like you're doing it the right yes. way. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things about CB Insights is early on when we when we had no money, certainly didn't have the brand. I mentioned there's a brand that we were going after. We thought we had a better product, but we very quickly and naively realized that no one's going to buy our product because no one had heard of us. So we started generating content, right? We had data on the venture industry. We got that data out there. We built direct relationships with journalists because we certainly didn't have money to pay for a PR company. And they were sort of our megaphone to get that stuff out there. All that we asked linked to us. We'll, we'll give you good data. We'll give you good storylines. Just link to us. And that's what happened. And then the leads started coming in. So really until I would say you know, through 2017, the vast majority of our revenue was coming through some kind of inbound source, which is obviously wonderful. It scales well. You don't have to hire as many SDRs to handle it. It's a much less hostile way to sell into your customer. And so that was that was wonderful. But you know, over time, you don't want to completely ignore the other side of things, which is your outbound SDRs. And I would say, just to kind of go on that, it's, you know, when, when we started hiring outbound SDRs, I'll be completely uh, candid with you. You know, all I knew about SDRs was like, oh, I worked at Yelp for two years and I hated it and then I left. Sorry, if, I hope, hope Yelp is not here. Yelp's Yelp not here. here. Is Yelp here? Okay, not good. Not here. You know, like, it's, it's a pretty They're much... listening, it's though. A churn- yeah, exactly. It's a... Oh, God. All right. You fucked never up. worked there. You fucked up. It's a very... Yeah, it's a very, it's a very churn and burn culture in a lot of SDR teams. And honestly, I thought it would be the same thing. We'll just hire a bunch of SDRs, we'll get some inexpensive demos, and then when they tire out, we'll get new ones. I was pleasantly surprised to learn that the demos were far, far secondary to what we really got, which was our very best sort of account executives of the future. And I I don't mean that to be corny at all. It's amazing how well that program has functioned in terms of seeding talent for the future of our sales team. And you must have data, quicker ramp time, higher quota attainment, all that, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, ramp time is always is, is a challenge. One of the challenges for CB Insights in terms of ramp time is we're not we don't fit neatly into a vendor spreadsheet. We're kind of defining our own category, and so you know people aren't always quite just ready to buy, right? If you, a lot of times people call around and they call five different vendors, they're filling it out and then they're going to choose one. I mean, for us, we need to really explain what we are, prove our value. And so ramp time can still be a challenge, but we certainly do have something figured out because this has been, um, this has consistently shown that, you know, sort of we can continue to scale this. How different, obviously the one and a half million ARR, you know, bootstrapping, Mm -hmm. probably lots of anxiety figuring things out, but then there's probably a point at maybe 10, 15. Yeah. And then the question I have is, is, has it really changed that much is, is, whatever, 60 million or 50 million or 70 million, wherever you are, which is, you know, amazing. Is it that, is it different than 20 million? Do you feel different? Is your day different? Are, yes. Because there are, there's a, there's obviously a conversation mm-hmm. happening in, yeah. in startup land yeah. about stage appropriate leadership, yep. stage appropriate growth, all that stuff. Yep. What's your experience? That's definitely true. I think if, if, if you're reading the books, right. And it says like, you have to have this cookie cutter person for this stage. That's a mistake. All right. So I mean, at least in my experiences. So that that's number one. Let's put that aside. But you do need to be stage appropriate. I, I will say, at least for me, the number one challenge and, and and maybe like my kryptonite is a problem. Like if you give me a problem, I like I could spend all day just solving problems. That is not a good way to sort of prioritize your life. Right. Because some problems are big and some are small. They're all equally satisfying to solve, though. Um, so I, I think, <laughs> you know, so I think that you kind of need to basically prioritize your life. So. Yes, you do need to be stage appropriate because when we were 20 people, it was appropriate for me to pretty much have my hands in all the engineering problems down to sort of our entry level engineers 
all of our sales problems down to our entry-level salespeople, so on and so forth. Now, though, I need to lean on our leaders to sort of go and solve those problems. And I'll give you a perfect example today. This is probably not you know, very good for recruiting purposes, but we have, we have 140 desks, so we outgrew, this is the good part, we outgrew our, our main headquarters. And now we have 140 desks across the street uh, at a WeWork. And, love uh, WeWork. And so that's good. Yes, I love WeWork as well. But the air conditioning's out today, and it's not a great day. And so I, I, normally I would just be like, no, I want to go and uh, yell at someone, solve this problem, and be the point of communication. But like, we have people who can do that now. And so as long as you can sort of trust yourself to give up, I know that maybe is a silly small example, but that's actually something that like was really irking me on the way here. But I know that we have people you know, to take care of those things. Thank you for your honesty. There you go. You've said, and this is something I've been wanting to ask you, yeah. uh, you've said sort of in most cases, equity compensation can be overrated. Yeah. And yet, the reason that a lot of yeah. people choose the startup yeah. path is this notion that maybe we too will be yeah. the junior person that was hired at Facebook or Airbnb right. or right. Uber or whatever. Yeah. Walk us through your perspective. Yeah, so I think that, so let's not be presumptuous here. At least, would you agree that, that people join startups for equity? Do you guys think people join startups for equity? Is that the main driver? Or is it like, oh, the experience and the this and the that? Or I think it's... I think it's a big driver, yeah. uh, but I also think yeah. getting to there's a lot of people that get to lead fairly large teams early yeah. in their career that would yep. not get to do that at yep. a much bigger company. Yep. But yes, there's always right. this idea that we'll get options. I get questions all the time from yeah. uh, from from people saying, "I got eight thousand. They gave me a, an offer, and yep. there's eight thousand yep. options. Is that good? Is that good? <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, hey, hey, hey. And I think it's look. I, I think. Equity definitely can be overrated, but let's let's back up. I think equity in general is is uh, it's it's the best tool for you know long term wealth, right? We seem to find a way to spend our salaries and and stuff like that. So it's it's obviously the best tool. But I think the issue is that there's a a no one understands their equity. I think that's the biggest issue that I've seen, right? As a founder, whether I'm hiring somebody who's you know relatively junior who's receiving equity or even all the way up to executive level. I just don't think people are asking questions about the equity agreement, despite the fact that it's the most interesting part of the offer to them, right? So what is this worth? How many outstanding shares are there in the company? How much money is in the company? What's the preference, right? Preferences, probably a lot of you guys know, but it's just the money that's gonna get paid out to the investors before everything's left for the team. And then there's a whole you know slew of terms. Should your company go on to be successful, you can be left with massive tax obligations that can lock you into the company for a very long time. And I think people don't, they don't ask these questions up front. They don't really, I think they may be thinking about them, but think, let's just kick the can down the road. And I think people do themselves a disservice because, you know, you kind of go, if it's this it's situation where if it becomes successful, you have a whole nother set of problems that you maybe anticipated, but didn't think about up front. So I think, you know, one lesson I think I would say to this group, and it looks like we have a fairly senior group of sales leaders here. Obviously, the the you know the salary, the variable uh, cash component is important, but I think you know go home, get to understand your equity document first, find it, see where it is, because you probably kind of threw it somewhere, and uh, you know it's worth understanding and and kind of going through with some of your leaders. And uh, I encourage transparency on this thing. I think people should understand you know, what all the caveats are. And, and, you know, what I like to do with employees, either when they're joining 
or when they're, you know, they've been with the company for a while and it's time for a refresher, sort of take them through the different scenarios and see what this could be worth one day. Because I think people just don't quite understand that kind of stuff. And that's why I mean it's overrated. Yeah, no, I agree. It makes a lot of sense. Yep. We want to do some questions. We want to do some yeah. Q&A from the audience. There's a microphone. If anybody wants to ask a question, raise your hand and we will bring you the microphone. If possible. The, the, we've got someone right up here in the front. It's just for the recording. For the yeah, for the recording. Hang on. I don't know if it's on, but... There we go. Yeah, there you go. Say your name Great. so that the listeners of Sales Hacker Land can know who you are. <laughs> well, if you don't know me already, I'm the one that spammed everybody yesterday on a job opportunity. Uh, <laughs> my apologies, first off. Uh, I don't know what to do. You're just sitting on it, Sam. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, name's Chris Thomas. Uh, I run um, sales at a company called Video. Uh, we were just recently acquired. And I got involved in Revenue Collective through Fred Mather, who introduced me to Sam, and here I am. But um, the thing that I was most curious about was, you know, the inbound versus outbound. Yeah. Um, you know, personally, I love the idea of, like, scale yeah. through content creation yeah. and demand gen that way. And it comes in, you yeah. qualify it, move it through your pipe, and, and you know, you, you all of a sudden are just kind of generating revenue very nicely yep. at a very low cost of sale. Yep. Um, as opposed to then you start going into maybe verticals or you start looking at enterprise sales teams outbound and all of that. And I'm kind of curious what your take is as you move through building the organization I think yeah. to 70 million. If I did the math yeah. right, what's more valuable in your mind? Um, sure. What makes more sense? All right. So I think I should preface it with the inbound thing is amazing, but I don't think it's as simple as writing a few blog posts. This thing that that. I mentioned this like trough of sorrow between 2010 and 2013 where we like made no money. I mean, we were just busy getting our, you know, establishing our presence and trying to drive leads. So it's something that is a pretty big investment. And we were also uniquely positioned to do it because we had a bunch of data and we wrote about that data. So that's my number one thing. However, if you have the uh, fortitude to kind of make it through all that, it's obviously a, a, a pretty strong way of doing business for the reasons you would mention. Now, it actually, I think as far as whether or not, you know, how it relates to how we develop into an enterprise, you know, organization, look, I think we've got, there's two things. I think we've got to, um, at the beginning, it's kind of a jump ball in terms of how you organize your sales teams around these organizations because there's so much low-hanging fruit. And as the sales team evolves, verticalization starts to make sense. And furthermore, alignment between our account executives and customer success folks such that they're sort of combined owning the success of a logo rather than having different incentive plans for each is important. And as far as the inbound is concerned, the way we do work our inbound, if an account is owned and it comes inbound, it basically goes over to uh, basically the outbound team that owns that. And, on the in, and then the, the inbound team, that is correct. And then the inbound team um, gets everything else. And, and, you know, that's that everything else is still a, you know, we're still, we still deem ourselves being small. There's a lot of wood to chop. And so that, that everything else inbound stuff is still pretty, uh, there's a lot of uh, low hanging fruit on that as well. And I think the final point I would say is in terms of our inbound strategy, it goes back to our research. Again, it was just sort of a, it was very broad based in terms of covering the greater, uh, you know, venture landscape early on. 
now we've developed vertical expertise within our research team. And now it's, you know, it's kind of like we have a specific strategy for how we're going to go after insurance, a specific strategy about how we're going to go after auto. And so, you know, we know how to kind of like turn on the different faucets and go after uh, different uh, sources of where the content's going to play. Any other questions? In the back, Scott, announce yourself. Hey, it's Scott Samios from Partnerize. Going zero to 100, I guess you must have moved a lot of people into very advanced steps along their career path. Yeah. Do you have a philosophy around that or as a methodology? How do you lay out career pathing for everyone and you right. know, keep everybody in the, right. in the tent? Yeah, so uh, not, not 100 yet, but uh, look, that's why I kind of said earlier, the earlier, you don't want to over-optimize for these things before you need to, but establish career paths within each group. Right. I mean, if it's a small group of three folks, you probably don't need much of a career path. But as your other teams grow, like our sales team is is rather large. Our commercial teams are large. Our engineering team is quite sizable. Our research team is quite sizable. We were probably late to the game in terms of establishing, you know, what that career track looks like. So ensuring that the career track is established and everybody knows where they live in it and then understanding people's aspirations and where they want to go on it. And then you as a leader probably need to make some tough decisions or discussions um, if you don't think there's a fit between what their goal is and sort of where you think they'll be strong at. But that's that's on you as a leader to have to be upfront about it. And those are the tough discussions as a company scales that you have to have. One more question. Hey, Jonathan. Uh, Sloan Barber, VP of Sales at Hired. Nice to meet you. Hey. Thanks, Sam, for having us on board. Thanks for coming, Sloan. Um, so you just referenced auto insurance yeah. so it sounds like you transition more to an industry segmentation as a as a go to market strategy yeah. when did you do that and what were some of the tactics you yeah. used did you switch from sort of geographic yeah. focus and and how did that happen and how did you find yeah. the right people for those particular yep. industry verticals so i would say we're we're right now in the midst of basically making that that sort of transition so we don't have it all figured out i think for us though uh, geographical segmentation doesn't make a ton of sense i think it will make a ton of sense as Look, we've got quite a bit of international customer coverage at this point. And um, for that right now, our strategy is just for people to work funny hours. And that's probably not going to scale much longer. Um, we're going to need people working those hours and speaking those native languages and understanding that culture. That's one way. But I think the bigger aspect of our segmentation is simply around uh, verticalization. And it works really naturally for us simply because like that's that verticalization has already happened upstream within our research team and how we market. And so it'll just make natural sense to do so downstream. As far as you know, who will uh, focus on what, we'll just have to figure out, again, the cross-section of experiences uh, and interests among the, the AEs and CS folks. By the way, we used Hired a lot very early, so thanks. Thanks, Sloan. Yeah, yeah we probably still use it. But now we have like our in-house team. But uh, yeah, yeah, cool. No, you still use hired. We can still use hired. All okay. right, last question. It's gonna, it's gonna come from me. Yeah. You are in the rarefied era. You're the co-founder. You started yeah. the company. You yeah. work with executives. What advice would you give to a room full of executives? You probably have developed a perspective yeah. on yeah. specifically the mm -hmm. executive layer, things that you've seen people do well, things that you haven't seen. Yeah. Them do so well. I guess it's a few things. One, be really deliberate about creating your culture. Culture is this really weird thing that it gets asked in every interview. So for for one, it's not going to do you any favors in recruiting if, if there isn't a good answer that your team can revolve around. So define that, 
train people on it. And honestly, they will indoctrinate it at some point and, and it will become your culture. Otherwise, it's going to be defined for you through the people that you hire. So be very deliberate about defining your culture. Educate your team. Educate you know the candidates that you bring on. I think number two, do the job before you hire for it or find somebody to do the job before you hire for it. I think that uh, too often people rush into creating positions that sound good and then nobody's really done it. You hire for it and then it just inevitably isn't successful. So figure that out. And number three, listen, don't don't avoid the uh, the tough conversation. I think things around career development, these things, they kind of go to, they just play against human nature, right? Because you become friendly with a lot of the people you work with. But, um, you know, and some of the ones, some of the jobs that are numbers-based are easy. Those are the easy ones, actually. It's the ones that aren't. But don't avoid those conversations. People will respect you for it. And, uh, you know, I found a lot of mutual respect, you know, for people that we had to part ways with that, I don't know, maybe I'll work with again in my career. And if it ends that way, then you've done something right. So that's, that would be my advice. John, thanks so much for being a guest, for being at the offsite and on the, on the podcast. Folks out there, maybe in this room or somewhere else in the world, uh, want to reach out to you. Is that okay? Do you have a preferred sure. method of communication? How should people reach out? Sure. You can reach out to me, uh, jsherry at cbinsights.com, J-S-H-E-R-R-Y at cbinsights.com. John, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. Welcome uh, to Sam's Corner. Hope you enjoyed that interview with John Sherry on a boat in New York. I really like John's approach to building companies. I like the fact that, you know, one of the things he talked about was that it's important that everybody does the job before they find other people to delegate the job. Even if it's at the very beginning of an organization, it's just important, I think, that if you're a leader that you have credibility when you're asking someone else to do something. You know, the other way that people tend to put it is that, you know, you wouldn't want to uh, tell anybody to do something that you wouldn't do themselves. If you're an up and coming leader or manager, just keep that in mind when you're trying to when you're trying to motivate and encourage your teams. I also think, you know, to the point of uh, the conversation that it's really inspiring and, and refreshing to hear about companies that grow essentially at a venture rate. You know, when Mark Jacobs, the head of sales over at CB Insights joined the company, I think they were four or five million in ARR and now, you know, they're somewhere between 70 and 100. And that was just a couple of years ago. So those are venture scale growth rates, all driven by the revenue, right? By profitability, all of the, the hiring that they make, all of the investments that, that, that they make, they are a direct function and output of their customers believing in their product and buying the product. Not always possible. And you do have to understand, you know, cocktail TV, and it makes sense. There, there's a reason venture capital exists. It's not that venture capital is a bad thing, but it's a good discipline when you're forced to grow uh, because your customers essentially want you to grow because they continue to give you more money. So, you know, something to think about. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to reach out to me, uh, you always can. It's linkedin.com forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. Before we go, we do want to thank our two sponsors. The first is Lucid Chart, Lucid Chart Sales Solution, the leading account planning platform. And our second is Outreach, the leading sales engagement platform. If you have any questions, feedback, concerns, if you haven't rated the show, please give it five stars on iTunes and Spotify and anywhere else people offer the ability to rate podcasts. This Friday, we're going to be talking actually to somebody completely different. We've got a new spin for the next three weeks on Friday Fundamentals, and we're bringing in one of my favorite sales leaders in New York, Colin Cadmus, the head of sales for Aircall, which is another fast-growing company. So a lot of great stuff coming up over the course of the next couple of weeks on the Sales Hacker Podcast. But for now, thanks so much for listening and I'll talk to you next time.